Philippians chapter 1, it's page 100, 1178 in your pew Bibles. Um, this is the first passage I ever spoke on at this church. Fun fact. Um, good luck, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> so, 1178, Philippians 1, verse 12 to 13. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, and, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is in that every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached and because of this I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly await and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Jesus Christ will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For I have been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Thanks, Johnny. I wonder if there's a situation in your life at the moment, or maybe in the past, where you have felt trapped, hopeless, helpless, defeated. Uh, I don't know if you choose it, you think of it, uh, but whatever it is, you don't feel like your life is advancing in the way that you expected it to advance. Or that you wanted it to advance. Anyone felt trapped before in life? Uh, it's okay, we're all friends here, we're all in this together. Perhaps it's family, perhaps family's never been great. Perhaps it's not great at the moment for some reason. Uh, perhaps it's financial. Maybe there's not enough money to get to work tomorrow. Maybe uh, 
Maybe you're not in the financial position you had hoped. Maybe you're feeling trapped financially. Perhaps it's sickness or an illness that's chronic or terminal. Maybe something in your body, something that has happened to you, makes you feel trapped. Maybe it's a particular defeat in life. Maybe it's something that you have done yourself, maybe to yourself, and you're feeling particularly ashamed, and you're feeling trapped in that situation, unable to do anything. At least you feel like this is not going the way I wanted it to go. In our text today, the Apostle Paul, the missionary, the sent one, that's what apostle means, the sent one, the one who's meant to be going somewhere and doing something, he is feeling trapped. He is trapped. He is literally trapped. And yet if he didn't pick it up in the four less subtle times that he says it, he is rejoicing. He is trapped in his situation and yet he is rejoicing. I want to know why. <laughs> I want to know how he is rejoicing. Because that is so far from what I feel and what I experience when I am trapped. That is so far from what I express when I am trapped. And I just want to narrow down today on one reason why I think he's able to be joyful in hard places. One reason. And that is because he has gospel perspective. He has gospel perspective. And this is going to fit hand in glove with what Johnny said at the beginning. It's as if Paul is able to think about that third level in his life. Even when that first level, that small picture, or even the big picture of his life, means he's trapped. He's able to think existentially. He's able to think about the bigger picture. And that's what I want to talk about about tonight and I want to call it the gospel perspective. There's some cool sunnies on the screen. Paul is able to put these gospel sunnies on, this gospel perspective. That's the way in which he sees the world and it enables him to have joy in hard places. Now what is the gospel? The gospel is God's story. It's what God is up to in the world. And Paul is able to look at his situation and not just understand his life as this little island experience, not just this small picture of Paul's life, but he's able to zoom out, if you will, or look at it through God's lenses and see his life as a part of what God is up to in the world. And what God is up to in the world has culminated in the work of Jesus Christ, in God sending his Son to save us. And Paul sees his own life through that. That's the biggest thing that's ever happened in the world. And, and Paul sees himself as a part of that story. And I want to break that down for us tonight. How does Paul do that? What's it mean to put gospel lenses on or to see things from a gospel perspective? What's it mean to look down from that existential third layer onto our lives? And as we break it down, I want to do that because I believe it will result in our joy in hard places. That's, that's what's going to happen. It's going to mean your joy in hard places. So you want to come, those who are trapped? You want to come and get some joy in hard places? Let's do it. The first thing, the first thing is that Paul sees hardship as normal. 
Or another way to put it would be to say that Paul owns his hardship. He owns it. And he wants us, he knows and he wants us to know that hardship and suffering are a part of the Christian life. That it's normal in a sense. Of course it's not normal in the sense of, it's not the way God designed the world to be. But it's a normal part of the Christian life in the world that we find ourselves in. Have a look at verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters. In other words, I want you to have it up here. I want you to have it in here. I want you to know this. It's got to be stored on your data file so that you can bring it up when the right problem comes along. He wants you to know this deep down. And what's the first part of what he wants you to know? The first part is that suffering and hardship happens. It happens to Christians. Some Christians are surprised by suffering. Maybe you've met one. Maybe you've been one. I know I've been one. Why is this happening to me? How could this happen to me? I don't deserve this. I don't need this. Surely something's wrong. I thought Christianity was meant to mean my best life now. Look at Paul's experience in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what has happened to me. In other words, suffering and hardship can happen to you. Where is Paul? He's in prison. That's what's happened to him. And why is he there? He's there because he's a Christian. He's there because of the gospel. So being a Christian doesn't exclude you from the realm of suffering. I'm sure most of us are aware of that. Firstly, because we live in a broken world. That's where we are right now. Our comings and goings, our relationships, our bodies, our physical bodies, we exist in the present world. And when we become Christians, we don't automatically become superhuman. From stubbing your toe against the bed in the morning, it hurts, right? You can't avoid that as a Christian. To the common cold, to abuse, or to the way in which you're going to die. I have news for you tonight. None of you are going to die of old age. Old age is not a, not a diagnosis. A doctor will tell you that. You die because you decay. Your body falls apart. You die of something. And that's inescapable. Now, this doesn't mean don't pray against suffering. And this doesn't mean that God hasn't given us power to call upon him and to ask him for help in our suffering. And often God will say yes to your prayers for release from hardship, but sometimes he will say no, and sometimes he will say not yet. Now that's just the suffering we experience in this world. There's another reason we experience suffering, and that's because you're a Christian. And people might not like what you do and what your life is all about and you'll go through suffering. Have a look at verses 29 and 30. Some Christians refuse to think that suffering can take any part in the Christian life. But Paul says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, church, but also to suffer for Him. This is suffering in the form of religious persecution. That will come. That, that will come if you live the Christian life. 
So why is it helpful to know that hardship is part and parcel of the Christian life? How is that helpful? I know this is a pretty somber moment, right? Has anyone seen masterclasses online on the internet? Have you come across masterclasses? Masterclasses are online classes uh, by the world's greatest minds, or so they say. So, for example, Stephen Curry teaches basketball. How good is that? You can go online and it costs you, but Stephen Curry will teach you how to play b-ball. I'm excited by that. (laughs) I don't really have the height for it, but, well, it's not height, right? Herbie Hancock teaches jazz. You know Herbie Hancock? Yeah? Jazz legend. Frank Gehry teaches design. You have to pay for these courses. But they're amazing. It's like TED Talks on steroids. They're like seven or eight sessions. They cost you hundreds of dollars or whatever. The one I was particularly interested in is one by Malcolm Gladwell, who's a a writer. And uh, he said this one line just in the promo video, and it's changed my life. That's been enough for me. I don't need the masterclass. (laughs) He said this, the job of a writer is not to supply the ideas but to be patient enough to find the ideas. In other words, writing requires patience. And this has changed my life because it's changed my sermon writing experience. Because sermon writing to me often feels like a slow death. It is often painful. And I sit there in front of my computer and I I would prefer for God to take me than to finish this sermon. It's just, it's hard. A friend, a friend of mine once said to me, you know, somebody always dies in the sermon process. Either the, either, the, either the preacher in his preparation or the people when he's in the pulpit. If he doesn't die in the process, you're probably not going to get a good sermon. That's how sermon writing feels to me. And when a successful, when a brilliant, when an experienced writer looks me in the eye on my computer screen and says, writing requires patience. I go, yes, brother, I feel you. I I am so thankful to hear that because it means I know I'm on the right path. What I'm experiencing is normal. It's okay for me to be sitting in front of my computer and feel like I'm dying. That's what writing requires. In the same way, the knowledge that hardship for the Christian, is a normal experience, should make you go, it's okay. I can can do this. This is just the cost. I'm ready to go. I was prepared for this. Somebody told me this was going to happen. And I'm not taken by surprise. In fact, if you can put those lenses on, that hardship is a normal part of the Christian life, a new possibility in your suffering might open to you. And that is this. That in hardship, there might be an opportunity. In hardship, there might be an opportunity. Paul is able to see opportunity in his hardship. Paul says in verse 12, Paul is trapped in prison And in his own words, he writes, Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. My prison moment, my prison life 
has actually served to advance the gospel. Let me explain to you what's happening here. Paul is in house arrest. He's in house arrest because he's been preaching the gospel and nobody likes it. So they've put him in prison. And as a Roman citizen, Paul has appealed to Caesar. He said, I want Caesar to hear my case. And at the moment, he's under house arrest in Rome, waiting for his verdict to come down from Caesar. And he doesn't know what his verdict's going to be. It might be he's set free. It might be that he dies. Or it might be anything in between. He doesn't know. But Paul, the missionary, the sent one, has been stopped. And he's bound in chains. Now, I know house arrest to us today sounds like that might be pretty comfortable, (laughs) right? I've got a PS4 at home. I've got everything I need to make a good coffee at home. Uh, I've got a great veranda at my house. House arrest sounds pretty comfortable. I've been told by commentators who have done their work on first century house arrest that it's not quite like that, that Paul probably would have had uh, been attached by a chain from his wrist to his guard's wrist by a short length of chain and he's waiting for a life sentence potentially. This is not comfortable. Now I'm not sure how you would respond to that situation. I know that rejoicing wouldn't be, that's not in my vocabulary of suffering, right? I've got lots of things in the vocab of suffering. Rejoicing is way out here. I'd probably say, what has happened to me, brothers and sisters? I want you to know what has happened to me has actually caused me lots of pain, lots of hardship, lots of suffering. I hate it. This missionary thing, it's over. I'm stopped. You know what? I'm out. Here's my resignation. I'm done. But Paul looks at the situation differently because he's not looking for his own advancement in life. He's not looking for his own success or his own comfort. He's looking through a different set of lenses. He has gospel perspective. And in his trapped situation, he sees an opportunity for the gospel. The guards that were looking after him were the elite guards of the Imperial Roman army. They would have been the security detail, the personal security detail for the emperor, like the president at the time, right? And they're a group of about 10,000 hand-picked veterans. I mean, this is the cream of the crop. And some of them are serving in Rome, but some of them are throughout the Roman Empire in different towns. So there's a lot of them. They're highly connected. And they're scattered throughout the Roman Empire. And... Paul sees an opportunity. Listen to what he says in verse 13. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everybody else that I'm in chains for Christ. Paul's up to something. He's taken hold of this opportunity, the fact that he's got this kind of rotating rotating guards coming through his house. And I can imagine that they're getting their ear chewed off about the gospel that they're watching this man live out the Christian life in his circumstance. And Paul's making the most of this opportunity. And in this case, he has a captive audience. 
You can imagine them watching him with no fear of death. Because Paul says, like Johnny read to us, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I don't know, I'm torn between the two, between staying here and going there, because to be with Jesus is far better. This prisoner, he has no fear of death. What a testimony in a dark place. And so you can imagine news about this peculiar prisoner spreading throughout these guards throughout the Roman Empire. I want to put it to you that I imagine the gospel would have gone further because Paul was trapped in prison than it had of if he was free. The word for advancement that Paul uses in verse 12 is actually a military term, a special term used for clearing away trees and anything, removing obstacles before an army advanced. That's the word Paul uses here. And I think he uses that military word because he wants us to see his situation in the same way he's seeing it. You know, in, in one reality, the military held him down. In the small picture, the military had him held down, but in the existential picture, in the big, biggest picture, he was taking ground. And Paul wants us to see that. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And so Paul sees that hardship has opportunities. And I want to make the point to us today that whatever your trapped situation is, that perhaps there is an opportunity for the gospel in it. Thirdly, Suffering and hardship is not about you. Paul sees that hardship is not just about him. You know how suffering and hardship can make your eyes just look about yourself? You start thinking, woe is me. These are all my problems. This is how I'm feeling. And it's good to express your feelings. But Paul knows his hardship is not just about him. Have a look at verse 14. He says, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. You know, there is something powerful about sharing our stories with one another. And not just the upbeat stories, but the downbeat stories as well. And this is how we strengthen one another. You know, there is a strange tendency in church often to just wear our Sunday best you know, we come to church and we literally put on our Sunday best, maybe, some of us. But we also bring with our stories and our words about our week our best. And we don't open up about our weaknesses and about our hardships. And when we do that, the problem with that is that it stops us from sharing about God's strength in our life, what He's up to in our life. And it's counterproductive. It's through hardship that the gospel advances and it's through sharing stories of our hardship that we're encouraged to keep on keeping on. Think about Joseph cast into a pit and sold into slavery. That man ends up saving the known world 
And he magnifies God and praises God for his providence. He says what man determined for evil, God determined for good. Job, deprived of his children, all his earthly goods, his health. At the end of that book, he puts his hand over his mouth because of the unspeakable mysteries of God's wisdom that he has encountered. Jeremiah was cast into a well and experienced many afflictions. And he was the one who coined that phrase, great is thy faithfulness. I don't know whether you know the old hymn. Our Lord Jesus Christ, right, hung on a cross. And what did it mean? The salvation of the world. My salvation and your salvation. And it doesn't stop at Jesus Christ. Those who follow Christ experience hardship and suffering. The Apostle Paul in prison sees an opportunity for the gospel. And as a result of his hardship, other believers are encouraged. They become more confident in the Lord. How does that happen? I think it works something like this. They go, wow, Paul's okay. God's got his back. He's still able to rejoice in the hardship. Maybe he'll have my back too. Maybe I'll be able to say, great is thy faithfulness when I'm feeling trapped. And it also says, they dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. I think that's because they realize, wow, death's not the end. If Paul can face death, he can look it in the eye and say, all right, bring it on. It's better by far. Maybe I'll experience the same thing too. The application for this 5.30 is for our time together after the service or before the service when we're chatting with one another. The application is for community group on a Tuesday or a Wednesday night when you're hanging out with one another and you're sharing stories. You know, it's great in those times to share every little aspect of life. I, last week, was talking to somebody about scuba diving, and it was awesome. I loved learning about scuba diving from them. But in the same conversation, we talked about the struggles, the trials, the hardships in our lives, and somehow it was encouraging. It gave me a little bit of fuel because I went, wow, if they can do it, and if God can sustain them, and they can live in that struggle, that trap, in a way that makes Jesus proud, maybe I can live through my trap as well. Maybe I'll find a way to do this. Maybe I'll know that God's faithfulness is great, and I'm not alone, that He's with me. So, how do you find joy in your hard place? Well, one way is to see that hardship is normal, is to see that hardship has opportunities, and to see that hardship is not just about you, but it might be for the encouragement of others around you. You need a gospel perspective to find joy in hard places. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in hardship we can know that you are with us, that you have promised that you will always be us, that you will never forsake us. 
Father, we thank you that we can know by the example of all of those who have gone before us, including our Savior himself, that suffering happens, hardship happens. We thank you, we also know that, like it says at the end of Genesis, what man determined for evil, God determined for good. And sometimes in our hardest places, sometimes where a door is shut on our own life, maybe there's a door open for the gospel and that you can be using what we're going through. And Lord, I thank you that we can also know that you can use our stories to bless others, to make others more confident in you. Lord, I pray that we would know this this week deep down and help us to be reminded of it when the hard places come. In Christ's name, amen.